So if you're joining with us for the first time today, we have been in a series called Stories Along the Way, and we've been looking together at stories of these parables that Jesus shared on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem. And what we've been saying is that Jesus tells these stories in order to mold and shape us as followers of Jesus. Uh, these, these stories, they kind of get into your heart and into your mind and into your imagination. And you begin to see things differently when you look at the world through these little narratives that Jesus tells. Now, uh, along the way, there's a variety of different parables that I would say kind of fit in uh, the best of category. They're like on the greatest hits playlist for the parables. And stuff that even if you're not familiar with Christianity, you've probably heard some of these stories. Uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, we looked at that a couple weeks ago. Uh, the story of the, the, the prodigal son, uh, uh, the, the story of the sower. Like there's all kinds of parables that are very, very familiar. Uh, today we're going to look at one of the less familiar parables. And it's a little bit of an odd story about... Um, there's, there's a fruitless fig tree, and then there is a, a guy with an axe, and then there's a very merciful gardener. And so we're going to look together at this story. And I love this image. This is like a modern icon of uh, this story, and it's pretty cool. So it's going to carry with us through the duration of uh, the, the story this morning. So as Jesus tells the stories, and, and we've seen this over the last couple of weeks, oftentimes the story that Jesus tells is prompted by a situation. And so a couple weeks ago, we saw that a, uh, a religious guy comes to Jesus to test him. And he asks the question, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus launches into the story. And uh, last week, we saw that um, there was a dispute between two brothers. And a brother came to Jesus and said, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And Jesus then launched into a story. And today, uh, what is it that prompts this parable? Well, it's not a, a rich, or it's not a religious guy. And it's not a brother who is uh, in a dispute with his other brother. Instead, what, what prompts this parable is uh, one of the, the juicy, one of the shocking headlines on uh, maybe the Jerusalem Post. And so uh, what, what it says is that um, there, was, there were present at that very time some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And so Jesus is walking on this road, on this dusty road, and out of the crowd, some guys come up to him and say, hey, Jesus... Did you hear the latest news? Jesus, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened uh, in Jerusalem? You know, there were these Galilean pilgrims, and they went to offer sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, Pilate, probably fearing some kind of an uprising or a revolt, sent his troops in and slaughtered those guys right in the temple courts, and their blood mingled with the very sacrifices that they were offering up. And they're like, Jesus, did you hear that? You know? and, and Jesus can tell what they're thinking. And he can kind of read between the lines. And uh, what they're thinking is something along this. That they're thinking, it had to have been bad karma. You know, what comes around goes around. And those guys who died in that gruesome way, they must have done something wrong. And uh, so, so Jesus looks it back at them and he says, look, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way, which, by the way, 
Fun fact, Jesus is actually uh, a Galilean. He's with a traveling group of Galilean pilgrims, and they are headed down to Jerusalem to worship at the temple during Passover. And so maybe these guys come up and they're like, oh, you guys are Galileans. Did you hear what happened to those other Galileans that went down there? Are you guys kind of bad sinners like those people? And Jesus is like, do you think that they were worse sinners than the other ones because they died in this sort of way? And then he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. You got to love Jesus, right? Like Jesus is not trying to win friends and influence people. He's just telling it like it is. But then he presses it further. And now Jesus, it's Jesus's turn to remind them of a different uh, headline. He says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. And do you see what Jesus is doing in this moment? Jesus is essentially saying, look, the one whose sin you need to focus on is not the people who died in Jerusalem in this gruesome way, or the people who were crushed by the tower in Siloam. Uh, the people whose sin you need to focus on is not the, the liberals or the conservatives. It's not uh, your, your, your parents or your siblings or your husband or your wife. The person whose sin you need to most focus on is your own. And he says, unless you repent, you also are likewise going to perish. Now, let's just talk for a minute about this word repentance, because the word repentance has fallen on hard times, and it is a shame because repentance is among the most important ideas for human beings to actually reach in and experience health. That word repentance, it simply means to change. Uh, to repent is to experience deep, heartfelt, internal change that results in a transformed life. An unrepentant person, do you know what that is? An unrepentant person is simply somebody who refuses to change, somebody who is engaged in self-destructive, uh, they are engaged in patterns that are sabotaging themselves, that are hurting themselves and the people around them, and they refuse to change. And, and Jesus says, look, unless you repent, you too will likewise perish. Jesus is saying, look, what we human beings need is to own our junk, and to name our dysfunction, and to turn away and to repent. And Jesus says, and unless you do that, you too will perish. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not in this moment engaged in scare tactics. You know, sometimes those preachers on the corner uh, who are on a rant about repentance, they oftentimes engage in scare tactics. I remember uh, several years ago, and uh, I think it was 2017, uh, you two had their 30th anniversary Joshua Tree tour. And because I'm a Gen X pastor, my wife and I made a pilgrimage to um, <laughs> Seattle. Uh, to watch you two in concert. Also, because I'm a Gen X pastor, when I go through my midlife crisis, I'm going to get a Hebrew tattoo or a tattoo on my forearm in Hebrew. Anyway. 
But I can remember, um, we were so excited uh, to see you two. I mean, it, it's, it's an experience seeing you two in concert. And it is electric and it is powerful. And there were tens of thousands of people all crowding, waiting to get in. We were waiting for them to open up uh, the gates. And we were all waiting with anticipation. And then there were these obnoxious street preachers that were taking advantage of all of us excited YouTube fans who had nowhere else to go other than stand in line and listen to them rant and preach. And there they were on the corner saying, unless you repent, you will perish. And they were saying, turn or burn, you know, turn away or go to hell. You know, and you're just like, come on, can you be a worse example of what a Christian's supposed to be than this? You know, uh, put your bullhorn down, bro, you know? And, um, and yet there they were. And what is, is that what Jesus is doing? Listen, Jesus is not in this moment engaged in scare tactics. I mean, Jesus is not a street preacher on a rant. He's not some bro with a bullhorn. Jesus is the most intelligent, the most compelling figure to ever walk the face of the planet. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is speaking to us truth. And he is saying, unless you turn away from those self-destructive, those self-sabotaging habits and addictions and deep-seated bitterness and anger and your control issues, unless you turn away, that stuff is going to kill you. It just will. That is just the truth. And, and you don't have to live that long to experience people and to see this in your own life. You get in, in, in habits and you get into patterns and you get into behaviors and they destroy you. And they destroy your marriage and they destroy your family and they destroy your character. They destroy your integrity. You can lose your job. You can lose your sanity. You can lose your mind because you will not turn away from the stuff that's destroying your life. And Jesus knows all about this. Jesus knows all about life. And he says, unless you repent, you will perish. And then we all breathe a sigh of relief. Because now Jesus turns from this direct confrontational language, and he tells us a nice story. And he told this parable. And he said, there was this man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Okay, so here's the situation. There is this fig tree. And by now, I mean, this fig tree should have been bearing fruit. And uh, it's in its prime fruit-bearing years. And the landowner who planted it, and it says that he planted it in his vineyard. And you get the sense that he wasn't in the fig tree business. This man just delighted in fig trees. And so he planted one fig tree to get those delectable things. I, I talked to my friend John Salbeck uh, the other day about this parable. And he said, you know why uh, the man in the parable uh, wanted a fig tree in his garden? And John is Palestinian. He's a Palestinian descent. And he said, it's because he's a Middle Eastern man. And he said, Middle Eastern men need their figs. You know, it's their source of sugar and sweetness. So this guy, he plants his fig tree in his garden. And by now, the thing should have been bearing fruit. It's been there, you know, multiple years. And now he goes one year, no fruit. And then the next year, no fruit. And then the year after that, still no fruit. 
And uh, this, this landowner, he's smart. He realizes that this fig tree is drawn upon resources. He's taken resources. The fig tree has taken resources from other plants in the vineyard. And yet it's producing nothing. It is all take and no give. And so the landowner makes a very reasonable decision. Uh, he says to the, uh, the, the gardener, the guy who's actually tending the garden, he says, look, he says, cut the thing down. Why should it use up the ground? You know, and Danny Austin, he's a tree guy. Danny, you know what this is like, right? I mean, there's a tree, it's not bearing fruit. Cut the thing down so that you can replace it with a more profitable tree, one that will yield its fruit in due season. And uh, so, uh, so, so he says, look, cut the thing down. Now, at this point in the story, it takes a turn because now the gardener speaks up. Uh, up to this point, uh, the landowner, the guy who planted the, the fig tree, the guy who was looking for figs, the guy with the ax who wants to cut it down, he's been doing all the talking. But at this point, uh, another character speaks up, and it's the vine dresser, it's the farmer, it's the one who's been actively caring for the fig tree and the vine, and look at what he says. He answered him, he said, sir, sir, let it alone, <laughs> you know? Uh, he says in the, in the uh, words of Taylor Swift, you need to calm down. You're being too loud, you know? <laughs> he says, leave it alone. Leave it, al let it alone, let the tree, <laughs> it's just a little, it's a fig tree. Leave it alone. Uh, let it alone this year and let me dig around it and put manure on it. Let me add some nutrient-rich soil. Let's, let's put some healthy stuff in there. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, well, then you can cut it down. So he says, let's not be too hasty. Let's, uh, let's dig, let's dig, let's put, uh, you know, and, and let's just see Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Let's see if it bears more fruits. And look what happens next. We don't know. <laughs> the parable ends on a cliffhanger. We're like, what, what happened? Like, did it bear fruit? Did it not? You know, I was telling you about my friend John Selbeck, who's our young adult pastor. He was telling me that he actually had a, uh, an avocado tree in his backyard that he had there for six or seven years, and he said the thing would not bear avocados. And so one day, he just thought in his head, he thought, he's like, I'm going to dig around it, and I'm going to put on it a little bit of manure. <laughs> and so he put some, some nutrients in there, and he just waited to see what would happen. And the next year, Nothing. And then he said he waited another year, and he dug around it again, put more soil, and next year, nothing. <laughs> By now, you know, the tree keeps growing bigger and bigger. It's taking up more space, and there's now still no more, you know, avocados. And he said he was getting to the point where he was about ready to chop the thing down, but he's like, it was so big, it was going to be way too difficult. And then um, uh, he waited one more year, and he said that next year, he was out in the backyard, and he was kind of digging around it again. He says he looked up, and he said there was this gigantic avocado on it. There was only one. <laughs> but he said the next year, he says, there was 150 of the largest, best avocados you've ever seen. So you never know. Sometimes, you know, you dig around it, you put it in, and there's fruit, and sometimes there's not. What we want to do, though, is I want to stand back and I just want to reflect with you on this parable and think 
what it might be seeking to teach us. What, what might this parable do if you begin to imagine your own life and God in the world through the lens of this little story? And uh, I want to reflect on this parable by inviting you to consider two of the key actors in the story. The first is the fruitless tree, and the second we're going to look at is the guy with the axe. And uh, I think we'll learn something from each of them. Number one, let's think first about this fruitless tree. What is the fruitless tree supposed to speak to us of anyway? The fig tree that's not bearing fruit, I think is intended to be a metaphorical picture, a symbol of the life that refuses to change. In other words, Jesus is depicting here a life that is refusing to bear the fruit of repentance. And what is the fruit of repentance? Well, uh, at one point, John the Baptist, the great preacher of repentance, he had some people come up to him and said, look, you keep telling us to repent, and you say bear fruits worthy of repentance. What should we do? And he says, look, if you've been um, hoarding all of your goods, share them. If, if you're a soldier and you've been using your power to extort money from people, stop it. You know, if you're a tax gatherer and you've been taking more than your fair share, you know, return it to the people. He's basically saying change. That's the fruit of repentance is it actually results in a changed life. And so what is a fig tree? It is you and I, when we are in that season of our life, and we've all been there, some of you are there right now, where you, for whatever reason, are stubbornly refusing to change. There are patterns, there's habits, there's addictions that for whatever reason, you refuse to change. You will not go see the therapist, you won't go to the pastor, uh, you won't enroll and celebrate recovery. And yeah, there there are some mornings where you kind of have an idea that you want to change, but you don't really want to change because if you wanted to change, honestly, you would do something about it. And this is the tree that's not bearing fruit. And again, I think we've we've all been there. And, and I want you to see how the gardener relates to the tree. Because this is, this is interesting. The gardener, the, the guy right in the middle, who in the icon is actually the Christ figure, notice how he relates to the unrepentant tree that refuses to change. The gardener relates to the tree and to us with both grace and truth. And uh, let's start with truth, and then we'll go to grace, shall we? You know, there's some good news and bad news. And we'll start with the bad news. The bad news is, is that according to the gardener, the day will come, it it may come, when the tree needs to be cut down. Uh, The day will come when the, the gardener will say, fine, hand it over and allow the ax to come. And so here's the truth, is that there can be a space and time in your life where you persist and you keep on in the addictive pattern, you keep flirting with the adulterous affair, uh, you keep on with the uh, addictions to any number of things, you have the pills, you've got the alcohol, and you refuse to pay attention to it, you refuse to reckon with it, you refuse to own the, the, the anger in your heart, the toxicity, uh, the control issues, your verbal abuse, and it's there, and and you refuse to change. And listen, the truth of the matter is, is that the ax will come. It might come soon, and it might come late, but the ax will come. 
You cannot expect to live in destructive, harmful patterns in your life and never expect to experience the consequences. Or as the Bible says, you will reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap of the flesh destruction. Now, don't misunderstand. I don't actually think in the story the guy with the ax is God. I think actually in the, in the story, the, 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 the Christ figure is the gardener. And we're going to see about the gardener in a minute. I think the ax is simply the natural consequences of stupid decisions. You know, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Now, don't get me wrong. There is pleasure in sin for a season. I mean, sin can be fun. And the Bible even says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But I almost think it's kind of like, um, you know, if you kind of, you've seen those people in extreme sports, you know, um, and uh, I, have you guys seen Free Solo about that guy who climbs up the side of, uh, what, in Yosemite on um, half, half Dome or whatever, El Capitan? Yeah. Without any ropes. <laughs> and I can imagine that would be thrilling. I mean, think about the adrenaline, you know, and I have thought, like, think about if you did, like, um, free solo uh, building jumping, and you just jumped off a building, you're just like, I'm going to go, whoo, and that could be fun for a season <laughs> until you hit the ground. Now, often, though, actually, the stuff you're engaged in, it isn't even fun, and you know it. it there's shame. There's misery. Uh, you might feel good for a second, but, but there, there's, there's all kinds of stuff on the other side. And what Jesus is, is telling us is the day will come, whether sooner or later, that the ax will come out. And Jesus, he's, he, he's like, I'll put manure on it. Uh, we'll dig around it. We'll, we'll do some stuff to it. But if at the end of that, there is still no change, destruction can come. And so I guess this could be a word for some of you this morning. Stop. Repent. Change. Own your junk. I mean, you are engaged in stuff right now that you know is not helpful to you. It's not helpful to, to your, your, your kids. It's not helpful to your marriage. It's not helpful to anybody. And, and it's not helpful to your own soul. Turn away. Own it. Repent. Get involved and celebrate recovery. Do something. Get, get your life together. Jesus says, here is the truth. Sooner or later, the ax is coming. So that's the truth. But, but I think the, the more... The stronger message in our story is that the, the gardener is not just relating to the tree with truth. The gardener comes at the tree, get this, with grace. With grace. Uh, he says, uh, let the tree be, you know? He's like, peace, you know? Calm down. You know, relax. Actually, the, the word let it be in Greek it's the same word that's translated in the Lord's Prayer, forgive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The, the, the gardener forgives the tree. Now, the gardener must love that tree, right? The gardener is so merciful and so compassionate. He's just, he's been, he's been tending, he's been caring for the tree. He, he's like, stay away from my tree with your ax. Listen, the heart of God 
is that none should perish. Peter put it like this. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Listen, God doesn't want you to destroy your life. God wills your healing from those deep wounds that are erupting in all kinds of dysfunction. And God wills your freedom from all the stuff that you're stuck in. God wills that, that you would ground your own heart and life and identity in his love and have that love overcome you. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should experience deep and profound and meaningful change. Paul puts it like this in Romans. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience. I mean, what a description of that gardener, riches of his kindness, his forbearance, his ability to bear for a long time with some hard-headed person, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But here's the thing. In our story, what shape does the deep kindness and mercy of Jesus take toward the tree? His, his kindness, his mercy, it takes the shape of a shovel and manure. The kindness of God in the story is manure. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like manure. I don't like to have my hands in it. I don't like it to fill my nostrils. Uh, what is it anyway? It's decomposing junk, uh, crap, right? <laughs> Like, and you don't want it. Like, you don't want all that death near you. You want to keep death at a distance. And yet, and yet embedded within that decomposition are nutrients and the stuff of life. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. Manure does not rake high in the world's economies. It is refuse, garbage. It smells. But the observant and wise know that this apparently dead and despised waste is teeming with life. Enzymes, numerous microorganisms, it is the stuff of resurrection. And I guess what I'm saying is this. Listen, if, if you want to change, if you want to experience change in your life, it, it is not always comfortable. It is sometimes painful and uncomfortable. And sometimes it stinks. It stinks to have to humble yourself and to acknowledge you do not have your life put together. And it is hard to have to open up and come clean and let people know what you've been doing in the closet because it is shameful and embarrassing. It is hard and it's difficult to swallow your pride and to say, I'm sorry. And it is so much easier to keep blaming other people for your own junk. And listen, don't get me wrong, I know you have been victims. And I know that you have suffered, and, and there are deep wounds in everyone in this room. And I know so often the stuff that's coming out of you, there, there's a deep well of brokenness inside of you. But listen, focusing on how everyone else has harmed you is never going to bring about your own change. You've got to focus on your own junk, and that smells, and it's hard. But listen, the stuff there, that, that death to self is the very soil of resurrection and new life. And so some of you today might need to submit yourself to manure. <laughs> you might, 
need to allow the shovel to come and to break up some of the hard soil in your life. Maybe it's a, a direct harsh word from someone else you don't want to hear. Maybe it's the honest truth from a therapist that needs to speak into you. Maybe it's just you opening up your life. You, you, you need to submit yourself to manure, the decomposition of your pride, your image management, maybe your unrealistic expectations, your incessant demands on everyone else, your little hidden pleasures, your ego, your need to be needed or noticed or to avoid pain. You need to have death to your cynicism, your ways of being in relationships that are toxic, and you need new patterns. You need to let it rot away that it might become the stuff of resurrection and to sit there and let it become something new in your life before the face of God. In other words, surrender your life to the care of the gardener. So in the story, you know, you might be the uh, tree without fruit. But, you know, there, there's a second character in the story that you may connect with today. And maybe it's not the tree without fruit. Maybe today the character you would connect best with is the guy with the ax. And here's what I'm talking about. Uh, you've got some people in your life, and they will not change. And, and maybe it's a toxic relationship that you're in, and uh, maybe, maybe it's, it's an employee that you manage, and they just won't change, and, and you're like, what's the deal with them? And, and you've confronted them. And you, you've got Maybe it's your, your engagement in, in, in church life and ministry, and there's people around you that just won't change, and you're frustrated. And you're frustrated with people who will not change. Anybody in the house ever had somebody in your life who was destroying themselves, and they refused to change, and it is drawing resources from you? Resources that could be given to other vines in the garden that need your resources, and yet here they are, and you're like, I need to cut them down. You know, years ago, this parable has always been like, for, for years now, it's been very important to me, because there was a moment where God spoke to me through this parable. I had a guy on my staff team, uh, not at Christ Church, this was at another church, <laughs> a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> and this guy just would not change. And I was frustrated with him. And I'm kind of a, uh, uh, a little bit of a hands-off manager. I give you a lot of rope. And then I get frustrated as I'm watching them use this rope poorly. And I'm a fairly nice person, right, Ryan? Ryan, I'm a nice, I'm a nice guy. But you know, it builds up that resentment. And, and I was at a point where I was about ready. I had my ax in my hand and I was about ready to cut him down. And then for my sermon that week, just as, as happenstance, I had this text. And, uh, and I felt like a firebolt from heaven came down. And the Lord said, you need to put manure on him. I'm like, yeah, you bet I will. <laughs> no. but, you, but you know what the word from the gardener that came to me the word was, listen, that guy, he needs time and he needs, needs manure. Listen, don't get me wrong. There are toxic relationships that need to end. You know, I have a book uh, on my shelf called Necessary Endings. And it's by a therapist whose name is Henry Cloud. And I've read that book and it, is an, it has an important message. 
There, there are boundaries you might need to draw with dysfunctional and abusive parents that continue in your life. Uh, there are boundaries you need to draw with siblings that keep borrowing more money from you and extracting energy from you and time from you. Uh, there are friends that you have that are just not good for you, and they've not been good for you for a very long time, and they refuse to change, and you have to draw a line in the sand. There are such things as necessary endings. There is a time when you need to cut it down. But the gardener invites us to consider maybe now might not yet be that time. Maybe there are situations and there are people who don't need right now from you your acts, what they need from you, what your husband needs, what your wife needs, what your adult parents might need, what your kids might need, what your friend might need, right now from you is time and manure. What is manure? Manure is something healthy from you. Listen, time alone is not, just thinking that you're gonna keep doing the same thing with this person and get a different result is folly. That, according to Einstein, it was attributed to Einstein, whether or not he said it, we don't know. That's the definition of insanity. Keep doing the same thing, but expect a different result. It's not going to happen. Time is not enough. Sometimes we think, oh, well, time heals all wounds. Time doesn't heal wounds unless there is work done to heal those wounds in the course of time. Then time can heal wounds. Wounds can also grow deeper. And your resentment can also grow bigger. And, and problems can get larger. And so there, time, 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 it's not just time, it's time plus manure. It is your healthy engagement with that person, and sometimes you will be a stench to them. You'll be a bother, but maybe the bother that you'll be in is the source of resurrection. It's the source of new life. Eugene Peterson again puts it like this. He says, manure is not a quick fix. This is the problem. This is the problem with this option. Manure is not a quick fix. It has no immediate results. It's going to take a long time to see if it's going to make any difference. Listen, if results are what you're after, chopping down the tree is just the thing. We clear the ground, we make it ready for a fresh start. We love beginnings, you know, celebrating a wedding, christening a ship, uh, the first day of a new job, starting a war, you know. But spreading manure carries none of that exhilaration. It is not dramatic work, it's not glamorous work, it's not work that gets anyone's admiring attention Manure is the slow situation or solution, but it may just be the course Jesus is inviting you into with this person you love. Working with them, engaging with them, caring for them, not indefinitely, not enabling them, not codependency. This is hard work. This is manure work. And there may be a time where they're cut off, but Nonetheless, important work. By the way, with that one employee, I did, I gave him time, a year. And I started to invest in him, spent time with him. I coached him. And at the end of the year, I fired him. <laughs> well, it wasn't quite like that. Actually, uh, he transitioned off actually in a very healthy way and it went much better than it could have otherwise gone. But you know, sometimes you need time and manure. So maybe you're the guy with the ax. Now, there's one more character. We'll just close with this. I just want to close by 
talking for a second about the character right in the middle, the, the gardener. The gardener, I think, is the one who's telling the story. It's Jesus. And where is Jesus as he tells this story? Well, just a few weeks after he tells this story, Jesus is going to enter into the city of Jerusalem. And before that week is out, he will be hanging on a cross in Golgotha. He'll be hanging on a cross in Golgotha because the religious establishment considered that he was a tree that was not bearing the right kind of fruit. He was a tree that was sapping the energy from the religious establishment and the attention that they wanted. And so all of the landowners cried out on that occasion, crucify him, crucify him, cut him down because he was taking up too much ground. He was taking too much attention. We didn't like where this thing was going. And so they killed him and they eliminated both him and his kingdom from the earth, or so they thought. And as Jesus was hung up on that piece of tree that somebody else had chopped down so that they could hang him up. As he was being nailed to that tree, do you remember what he said? It's fascinating. It's only recorded in Luke's gospel, and it is an echo, almost a repetition, almost a verbatim repetition of the words that the gardener speaks to the tree. On this occasion, the, the gardener speaks, the literal translation of the Greek is, Lord, forgive it. And as Jesus is being nailed to the cross, Jesus will look at all of us, all of us who at one time or another have been a tree that does not bear fruit. All of us who at one time or another have been stubborn for way too long, who have demanded a lot of patience from God. And he will speak this word, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He will speak this word of grace and then he will invite us to himself and he will say, come and experience my grace. Open up your life. Let me put my shovel in and start digging below the surface. Let me put in the stuff that will be for your health and your healing and come experience my resurrection life. Father, we come to you now and we thank you for these stories that your son Jesus has told us along the way, the stories that he has given to mold and form us as your faithful followers. And we just ask God that here and now that you would speak afresh to us, that you would enable us by your spirit to reimagine ourselves and those fruitless trees around us, that you would enable us, God, to reimagine who you are through the lens of this parable. You are not an ogre. You are not a God who is dangling us over the fires of hell. You are a passionate gardener who cares deeply about our own hearts and lives. And today, we yield our lives afresh to your work and to your care. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who was crucified on that tree and who spoke those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do over our lives. God, may we live in that forgiveness. May we live in your grace. 
And may we be those who are conduits of your grace and mercy into the fruitless trees around us. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.